Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Get in the Mode podcast. Our guest today is Michelle Farabah. She has been in the marketing space for over three decades. She has held the CMO position for retail companies such as Harry David, BevMo, to name a couple. In this episode, we talk about the CMO's role in digital transformation. Michelle, welcome to the Get in the Mode podcast. Thank you. It's great to be here. Thanks. Um, hey, uh, why, for the benefit of the listeners and the audience, uh, why don't you give us a little bit of a background of what you've been doing? Uh, you know, give us a little bit of an intro. Sure. I come from three generations or three decades in, um, in retail and e-commerce. So I remember back when internet orders were actually faxed to us. So that might date me a little bit. Uh, but I've been in the C-suite all of that time, really focused around the marketing and strategic planning aspects of the business from anyone to companies like PetSmart to West Marine, BevMo to most recently at Harry and David. And now I'm CEO at a technology platform startup that's working on transforming an entire industry. Awesome. Um, so let's, you know, you've got a, a great, you know, you've been there as, you know, CMO, various roles in marketing uh, for about three decades. Can you talk to us and walk us through the changing role, the landscape of uh, the CMO world or the CMO, you know, marketing office in the last, especially from a CMO role standpoint? Yeah, you're right. It's a great call out about how much it has changed in three decades. If you think about um, the 90s and the early 2000s, marketing was really uh, a lot of marketers were brand marketers. It was all about building brand awareness and um, and following of a brand. And then that started to really morph into driving sales and making sure that revenue was coming out of that team and the invention of e-commerce, multi-channels. If you think about when it first started, businesses, especially in the retail industry, everything was very siloed. So even when I started in e-commerce, it was an e-commerce catalog direct-to-consumer division within a larger company where all of the policies, procedures, everything was different. And then in the early 2000s, people really started to realize that that wasn't the right way to structure a company and to interact with the customer. The customer is king. And at the end of the day, they want to interact with a brand any way they want. They don't care right. about how you organize yourself. So really thinking more laterally across the business um, and all aspects of those customer touch points, which are a lot more than they used to be when it was a retail environment and people went into your store. If you think about the expense structure and also the way marketers are thinking about and going to market, it's also very technology driven now, whether it be performance marketing or it's through the channels. And whatever channel that is, it's much more digitally focused than it has been in the past, whether it's going into a store and leveraging a, a virtual dressing room or seeing what other inventory that you have, having something shipped to your home, or ordering online and picking up in store, that's completely changed. So from a CapEx standpoint, it really went from IT driving all of the capital expenditures for a business 
to now the CMO can be responsible for the largest majority of capital spent within a company. So it's really changed that role. It's changed the influence they have in the business. And from a strategic standpoint, really helping drive where the business is going and how you're thinking about going to market and what that next chapter of, of your brand evolution will be. Yeah. And, you know, the role the role of digital right and we're talking about transformation you know i think we all understand transformation is not just digitizing you know paper and you know moving it to the digital but more about business transformation you know how do you transform culture within organizations and all almost like a digital operating model for the business right now in that in in that type of in that perspective can you tell us a little bit about what's the cmo imperative in the last 10 you know 10 years or 5 years or so uh, can you tell us what strategic imperatives and objectives that a cmo uh, tends to have these days uh, even as you look at CMO's backgrounds and as you go to hire a new executive and what you're looking for, it's really understanding from brand to performance marketing to really platforms and technology. Uh, a CMO has to be um, more thoughtful and more aware of the trends and where businesses are going. And from a strategic perspective, every company is different. So is your company bleeding edge and you wanna be known and at the forefront of technology? Are you a fast follower, which is where I like to be a lot of times? Not every technology that's developed is embraced and used by the customer, or do you want to be someone that's really slow to embrace that and follow? And I'll give you the perfect example as we went into the pandemic. A lot of people have said in the industry, you know, everyone should have been prepared for that. Well, mm -hmm. one can make the argument that something that happens once a century doesn't always make the top of the list for all the things that you have to do and you have to be prepared for. However, those companies that were watching where consumer trends were going, where consumer demands were going, had a much more robust e-commerce integrated approach. So those that didn't have direct to consumer, those were a lot of the ones that really suffered during the pandemic. Those that hadn't really embraced more omni-channel where consumers could go online, order online and pick up in the store, they were struggling to be able to execute that. And they had no choice at that point. If you were very retail physical store based, you had to be able to pivot to say, okay, shop online and be able to pick up in the store. Mm -hmm. You mentioned earlier about the cultural aspect. Mm -hmm. That is a huge part of it. You can't take a company through a digital transformation and simply say, here's where the world's going. Here's the technology we need to invest in. Let's install it, put it in our infrastructure and we're done. It's in our stack. That's not enough. If it's not integrated into your operations, into your procedures, into everything you do, then you'll fall flat on your face and you won't right. be able to execute and actually deliver on that. Um, I think in today's world, there's more opportunities than any of us can ever go after. So one of our big jobs as a marketer and as an organization is to really be able to prioritize that roadmap. 
and I go through it all the time with my teams, thinking about what opportunities are out there, what would we like to go after? And then I think it's twofold. It's really partnering with your sales and marketing team and partnering with your IT and development team. So from the marketing side of things, where do we think the opportunities are? What do we think yeah. the value and the demand that um, an idea, a technology, a feature and functionality can drive for the business? Is it high, medium, low? And then looking at it from uh, the IT development side, again, from an effort standpoint, is that high, medium, low? And then you can take all of those opportunities and really put them into four quadrants where you can say, okay, this is high opportunity and low to medium development effort. That's a no brainer. We need to be doing that today. If it's a low opportunity and a high development cost, that's something that should be taken off the table. We don't need to talk about it anymore. And that's a way for the two groups to really come together as they think about all of the things that you'd like to do or all of the ideas you have as a company and together jointly come up with the prioritization of that roadmap that makes sense to the business. What a great strategy. Uh, you know, I was going to ask you about the CMO, CMO CIO integration kind of leads me to that question there now. Um, I think, you know, in from your experience um, being at Harry David and, you know, previously at um, the beverage company, right? Um, what have you seen working successfully? What and what are some hurdles that you as a CMO had to adjust? Maybe if you were to speak, you're, if you're speaking to a fellow CMO, how do you talk to them about, hey, this is how you implement a CMO CIO integration strategy? Can you talk to us about that? Sure. I think more than ever, you want to have a really strong relationship between, well, I would say between four people. Uh, CMO, CIO, so where are you going technology-wise? Where are you going with the customer and the brand? Your CFO, because having from a cost standpoint, and in many cases, you have that question and that debate today, do you make it or do you buy? Those decisions come down a little bit to speed, to to, um, skill set that you may have within the team, but it also comes down to a financial question because it's very different. Is it capital or is it going to be something that you may license as SaaS and it's more an operating model? And then your CEO. So they're on board with where you're going strategically. So to have those four C-suite individuals be on the same page, I think having a technology steering committee where that team is getting together on a monthly basis and really talking about where you want to go as an organization, then it's not a surprise when you get to some of the more tactical decisions that you need to make. I think one of the other things that a lot of teams have struggled with is even if you do all of those things and you say, this is where we want to go as an organization, this is how we want to go, and we want to buy, so we already know that decision. Maybe we do want to be a fast follower, but then marketing goes out and says, okay, I want to do personalization. So I've looked at the marketplace. I've decided what um, vendor I want to work with because I have a relationship, because Forrester rated them really well, whatever it may be. 
And then at the very end, they bring it to IT and say, okay, here's our partner, here's what we're gonna do, we've signed the contract and we wanna launch in this time. You end up with a lot of friction between the teams there. So I do think there's a lot of research that can be done upfront to weed out some of the um, potential players that you might decide aren't the right fit from a standpoint of what you're trying to achieve. But as you start to get deeper into those conversations, really bring in the IT partners because you also have to make sure this technology and all of the underlying um, architecture and the integration will work in your tech stack. And no matter how smart you are from a marketing standpoint, you're not the right person to make that call. And that's where you need the IT partner sitting beside you to say, okay, you think they can solve um, all the features and functionality that we need there's a user experience for the customer that's great. There's mm -hmm. a user experience for the brand because usually we have to interact in it in some way to be able to keep um, using it and optimizing it, maybe customizing it. But then also from the IT integration standpoint that it makes sense within the overall or, um, architecture and everything else you have in that tech stack. So that's where I see some of the, the downfalls and some of the opportunities to really make that a smoother experience and more successful experience. Definitely, yeah. Now, you talked a little bit about the culture internally, cultural transformation to be more digital and having a digital operating model. Being in the retail space, don't you also, have you also seen the culture side in terms of the user experience. You know, I bring this up because you brought in user experience. You know, what's the demographic? What are the channels that they are using? What have you seen there? And how can perhaps e-commerce or retail stores adopt? Uh, how are they adapting and adopting to this? Well, I think it's a number of things. Um, one of the things I talk about a lot is listening to your customer. Listening and communicating are probably two skill sets that are so undervalued and underused in so many organizations. So as you work on what you think those features and functionality are, listen to your customers. So if you have a call center, listen in on the calls. You learn so much from what's working, what's not working, and what suggestions you have, as well as going into your retail store. And then you can also do um, focus groups. You can do qualitative and quantitative uh, research, and that can all help you. That should be um, one of your guiding principles that will help you make sure you're going in the right direction. I think the pandemic has changed the way that many consumers interact with brands, and that probably won't change and it won't go away. We've probably made up at least five to 10 years of progress from a technology standpoint in the last 12 months because of the pandemic, and we'll just continue to do that. So. Customers are looking towards digital more and more, but they're also looking towards the integration of that into their everyday life as they go back to what the new normal is. So again, being able to go online, being able to leverage that, having that relate to an in-store, in-person experience is really critical and vice versa. So understanding more and more of what you can do, the whole thought um, of going into a dressing room that you don't know who's been in there, you know, what they've touched, 
you can't possibly disinfect that every single time. So being able to really think that through of what can you do from a technology standpoint to help that consumer find the right products that they're looking for to be able to potentially virtually try that on to experience it. Um, if you think about the makeup world, you used to be able to sample even the food world. Without that sampling, how can you get that customer to have that experience that they used to have in a new way? And then from a cultural transformation and from that communication standpoint, right. it's really imperative to talk to the entire organization about where you're going. Change is not easy for people. People find comfort in what they know. Well, the world around us is changing, like I said, more rapidly than we've ever seen before. So sharing all of that knowledge and all of the information and that vision of where you're going and the role that everyone plays in that vision and in that plan is really critical to the success of any organization. And that was some of the challenges. People tried to pivot very quickly during the pandemic. They're right. changing very quickly. You don't always have all of the answers as a management team, and that's okay. You have to just share when you absolutely have the answer and when we think this is where we should be going and what our customer needs, but we're going to find out. I think um, with technology and change, you have to think about learning and iterating, failing fast, taking right. calculated risks, and those are not always easily done. I think one of the other things that I see is very hard is also admitting when something doesn't work. So any mm -hmm. test that I do with my team, yeah. um, mm -hmm. defining success up front is really critical because by nature, we all want to win. I've never met anyone that says, I'm willing to lose. I'm willing to lose. I just don't want to and I don't like it. So defining what success means up front means you'll have a more objective view of, did this work? And did it meet your expectations? And when it doesn't, to say, it's okay. Let me fail fast. Let's get rid of it. Everything you do and everything you maintain from a technology standpoint takes time and energy. And time mm. and energy is still money from, from that standpoint. It's an opportunity cost. You're not doing something else. And everything was a good idea. And someone came up with it. Someone backed it. Someone cheerleaded it through. But it's okay, and you do have to say that was great, or we thought it would be great, but it's not great anymore, and being able to walk away from that. Yeah, let's let's talk about fail fast. Uh, you know, that's that's an amazing point that you make, um, you know, iterating and kind of moving to things that are working, you know, kind of getting rid of killing ideas that don't work. Um, how, how do you get, you know, sometimes... When you have, when you have an initiative, there's a possibility you've not tried enough. Like, when do you know it's enough? When do you cut bait? You know, what are what are what's a data-driven approach that you could take there? Perhaps you can speak from your experience, or maybe if there's a use case that you can share, uh, we'd love to hear. Yeah, I think you nailed it at the very end. That's really what it has to be—a data-driven decision and experience. So. If you set the criteria up front of what success means, and then you use your data to be able to do that, the timeline for that really depends on what you're testing, how much data you have. And okay. usually I'll ask my team, what's our confidence level in that data? And so if they come back and say our confidence level is 40%, I'm going to say we haven't tested it long enough because our confidence level just isn't that high. 
if the team comes back and it could be days, in some cases, you could have enough throughput and enough data, you could say something was a success or failure uh, in a day if you had the confidence level. Others, it may take months because of the amount of data that you need and how much throughput you have on that particular initiative. So I think, again, I go back to set up what success means up front, how you're going to measure it and what measurement is success, measuring it with the data and coming up with that confidence interval. And as soon as you hit, you know, if you're in the 90s, then you're gonna feel pretty good about, okay, you know, we gave it our best shot. Sometimes you can figure out and understand if there's something to tweak that may be able to uh, enhance that result. But if you're not getting the result or close to it that you need for success, that's when you know to say, okay, we gave it our best shot, but the customer is not ready for it. And, and that's the other thing I'll say, because I say the customer is not ready for it. Sometimes we are yes. uh, a little too early to market. And that's why I say, personally, I like to be a fast follower because if I'm bleeding edge, I'm spending a lot of time and energy and money on developing and testing every little thing that's yeah. out there in the market. And not everything is going to resonate with the consumer. So let's take Zoom. I actually don't know the answer of how long Zoom has been around, but we have had go-to meetings. We've had yeah. Skype. We've had lots of solutions like Zoom that have been out there for a decade. Right. But as organizations, we didn't use them much. We, we yeah. had FaceTime, but, you know, you called grandma. You talked to the kids on it. Right. Um, so it's, it was a tool, but not one that we largely embraced. The pandemic hit in suddenly consumer acceptance of a tool like Zoom is instant. You think yeah. of Slack. Slack has done great, especially with developers. It's such an amazing tool as you're working on iterating and collaborating and being able to track all of that. But some tools and some features and functionality are not embraced by the customer at the time it's developed. Right. And that's okay. You should fail fast. So I might want right. to get out of it because it wasn't accepted, but it doesn't mean that you shouldn't ever revisit it because in some right. cases you were just ahead of the consumer. And a few yeah. years down the road, you may say, hey, we should dust that off because right. one, we could do it better because of technology and what we can develop or two, the customers now caught up with us. We are just yeah. ahead of our time. No, that, that's a great point. I've observed that in my 20-year career too. You know, sometimes the opportunities are circumstantial, like the case of Zoom and other platforms, like, you know, remote platforms. I mean, kind of now it's the day-to-day -day for any business, yeah. you know, uh, that whether you're in technology space or not, uh, you know, all these remote meeting software um, and then sometimes the zeitgeist is not there for, you know, you're, you're really ahead of the curve and uh, you just kind of have to wait for people to catch up. Right. So uh, great, great point on that. Um, now, I would like to hear, you know, you've been in the as, you know, CMO and marketing world for, you know, 30 years. Um, would like to hear your recommendations and, and perhaps more advice to aspiring CMOs, uh, you know, uh, marketing professionals who wants to get into leadership uh, as well as the C-suite on the marketing side of the house. 
Uh, from that aspect, it's also changed a lot. As I mentioned years ago, CMOs were largely brand ambassadors and brand experts. As you look for a CMO in today's world, that's changed dramatically. So to be able to have more of that technology background, to be able to understand um, customer behavior is really critical. So to have a broader background, I would say as you're coming up, um, to work in and focus on as many areas as you can. And in a perfect world, any of the executives that I work with, if they're able to have exposure to multiple areas of the business, that always makes them a stronger team player. And so where there's opportunities, whether it just be a special project or it's actually a, a more full-time job to take on another role in the organization, that always makes you that much smarter and more valuable in the C-suite because you have a broader perspective and view. So even a lot of times as I'm going through a cultural transformation, creating cross-functional teams that can really tackle different areas that are either problems for the company or you see them as opportunities that you're not taking advantage of everything. Developing those cross-functional teams really gives you a new perspective because mm -hmm. someone in accounting has a very different perspective about a product than someone in merchandising or someone right. in marketing or production. So really bringing all of those views together and then you get some more cross-functional ideation and sharing and respect and appreciation for what all of the teams in the company do so that you think about that as you're working on your own program. Because any program you create, especially in marketing, is going to touch virtually every other business, whether it be customer-facing or it's even within accounting and how you're going to track the expenses or be able to report back on that. It's awesome. Um, now, one question that kind of came up from as you were talking about budgeting is, you know, as a CMO, do you did you ever feel like you were vying for the same dollars as the CIO, you know, in terms of digital transformation, right? CapEx costs, we talked about OpEx, CapEx. Um, you know, as we move to the cloud, it's becoming more OpEx even for CIOs. Talk to us about that landscape, what you have experienced, um, and what are some strategies for success there? Yeah, and I would say it's not just CIOs. Um, as you're vying for capital, you're vying against anyone else. So it could be a real estate team. It, it could be um, anything. It could be your fulfillment team because yeah. they want a new warehouse. So there's only so much CapEx to go around. So it's really prioritizing as an organization of where you want it. From a technology standpoint, again, this is the opportunity to really partner with the CIO to say, okay, what do we think we need from an organization as well as from a customer um, uh, perspective and growth driving perspective? So CapEx is no longer just an expense. In the mm -hmm. case of marketing, it's an expense that drives revenue. So revenue. It's, it's now something squarely in that camp. But as much as you can partner to prioritize as a company, and when you're in the C-suite, you know, you wear two hats. You're wearing the company hat as well as your division, your area's hat. So you have to be able to think about it in the broader perspective of, yes, I'm vying for CapEx dollars, but we also need a new point of sale system. We need a new 
communication system because we're going to go to a hybrid or a remote work environment forever. So there are different considerations um, that may cause different priorities based on where the company is and where you want to go strategically. So again, it goes back to that communication. If right. you as an executive team have agreement and alignment on where you want to go and how you want to be positioned as a company, it makes those decisions a lot easier. doesn't mean it always goes your way, Right. but you understand what the give and takes are and why we need to prioritize A over B. And this is something we need to push out for another year or two. Well, uh, Michelle, now we get into this interesting part of the podcast. Uh, I've got uh, some rapid fire questions for you, three. And uh, here's the first one. Uh, what's, a, what's a book that you've read in the, within the last 12 months? You probably have read many, but that stands out to you, kind of change the way you think, uh, you know, perhaps some paradigm shift. Um, one of my favorite books I've read recently that came out in the fall is Unapologetically Ambitious. And it's okay. a, a book that's written by an African-American woman. So as we're pushing for more females to come up, and especially yeah. as you think about STEM, you think about technology, um, there are still double standards out there from a gender perspective. And so she has a great perspective on have a plan, everything in life you should have a plan for. Look at other successful people and look at what they've done, what they look like, and then model that. So it goes back a little bit to your question of, you know, what should future CMOs be thinking about and looking at as they come up and other C-suite executives. Um, it's, a, it's a great book, especially for women out there. Definitely like the title, so that uh, sounds like a good read. Um, what's a vacation spot that you've gone back to? Ooh, that's a tough question because I'm a big believer that there is a lot of the world to see, and I want to see as much of it as I can. So I don't tend to go back to the same spot a lot, but I will say my husband and I love Italy. We are married in Italy, so I would probably pick that as a place that we have been back to many times. Of course, yes. Um, now, the last uh, question in this round. Um, do, do you, first of all, do you like cooking or do you like to eat out? Or love I, I suppose cooking. Most, We're a okay. total foodie. When we eat out and love it, we try to figure out how to reverse engineer it when we go home. So that means eating out is probably probably lesser or at least aspirationally lesser. What's your favorite restaurant in San Francisco, which is where you live? Ooh, my favorite restaurant. Um, I do love Boulevard. Okay. Classic, been around for a long time. Um, OJ's, uh, we have a house in North Beach, uh, the Italian area. So OJ's is right in the center of North Beach on Washington Square. It's another classic, iconic restaurant of San Francisco. Awesome. Well, um, definitely th those are two good recommendations for our audiences if they travel to San Francisco. Thank you for that. Well, Michelle, it's been a pleasure having you on the Get In The Mode podcast. Really enjoyed the conversation. Uh, thank you for being on the podcast. You're welcome. Thank you for having me.